By the way, if you're, if you're praying there for uh, Judah, uh, as was just mentioned, uh, we did get a good word today. We thought it was maybe really, really serious, attacked by a pit bull, but we heard today that the family dog kind of drove the dog off, and, and he had some stitches, and he's basically going to be okay. So that's, a, that's a, a good thing for those who might be... Um, yeah, I know I was really deeply concerned when I heard about it, so there you go. That's some, that's some good news in the midst. Well, there is a downright uh, weird-sounding word that pops up uh, from time to time in, script, in uh, Christian parlance, and as you go through the Scripture, how, the word Ebenezer, how many have uh, bumped into that as a term, and you're like, well, I knew it was a name, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, and maybe at some point in your life you were singing, Come Thou Fount of Every blessing, and there's that, there's that. Uh, now, they don't have it in the hymnal anymore. They got rid of it because they, I think they figured nobody knows what we're singing here. But there was that, that line that said, here I raise my Ebenezer. Yeah, how many have sung it that way? Yeah, a few of you. You got to look like me or older to have uh, actually heard that pretty much. But yeah, it's actually a term right out of the scripture. It's not Ebenezer Scrooge we're talking about. It comes from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. And Samuel, the judge and the prophet over Israel, has led the people of God in a, in a time of repentance. They've turned back to God. They've gotten rid of their idols and so forth. And then God takes them into battle. But then, really, God fights the battle for them, and they have a great victory over the Philistines. And at that point, Samuel sets up a big stone in the middle of the field, as it were, that they can all look to. And, uh, and he calls it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means a stone of help. And he explains it in that context. It says, Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mitzvah and Shen, called its name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So what is, what is he doing there? He's saying this monument that we set here to look upon is to remind you that as you turn to the Lord... And as he, as he, as it were, turned you to him, he fought this, this great battle and gave you victory. And the Lord has helped us to this place. That's what we used to sing. Till now the Lord has helped us. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thine help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. So it's just, I, as the, the concept of Ebenezer is one of those places or times or events or things that you think upon that remind you, God has taken care of me. He has brought me, spiritually speaking, and in other ways, he's brought me to this place. And when I think about God's goodness to me, up to this point, it reminds me that the God who began a good work in me will carry it to completion. Huh? Ebenezer's a really good word. Maybe we stick it back in the hymn after all. Nah, probably not. Um, all right, we're back to the book of Colossians, and you'll see how this ties in. Uh, Paul and Timothy are, are writing to the Colossians, they do not know them personally, maybe a handful of people that have traveled back and forth, but they never went to Colossae. Instead, uh, it is Epaphras, or, or Epaphras, however you want to pronounce it, um, but uh, he was one of them and had gone there, probably during the time when Paul was at Ephesus in the book of Acts, where there's those three years that Paul ministers there. From there, uh, Epaphras has gone back, and he's, he's brought Christ to them, and and, uh, and they know, as they're writing this letter, they have heard word that there's a problem in the congregation. There are false teachers that are troubling them, and Paul is writing to that. He's going to speak to that. We're going to look at that. That's going to be a major part of the book. But 
before he gets to the correction, what one might say is the negative part of the book, he starts out with the positive. And it's kind of like that Ebenezer thing where, where he is looking at where they are to this point, and he's thanking God for that. And I think that's something that we can apply to ourselves pretty readily. So here's the big idea. Thankfully remember where God has brought you. If, wherever you're at, Christian, today, if, if you're struggling, if you've, if you've felt down, sense of despair, defeat over sin that, that, that besets you, whatever it might be, I just want you to think of it this way today. Where has God brought you? And thank him for that. First of all, thankfully remember that you have been brought to faith in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer today, you have been brought to faith in Christ Jesus. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now you'll notice there again, Paul says that since we heard, it wasn't his first-hand experience. This had, had been uh, brought to him by uh, Epaphras, who's taken that, that gospel to his own people. Paul thanks God because what he's heard concerning them is that they have, in fact, converted. They have come to faith in Christ. They're not the most mature Christians in the world. Far from it. Uh, they've got serious issues. They've got a discernment issue going where they're not, they're not picking up on false teachings that are coming. But Paul starts by thanking God for where they've gotten to. And the first thing to say is they've been brought to faith. And that is not a small thing. That is a gift of God. The book of Ephesians, in, in there Paul says that it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Do you know how that continues? And this, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works lest anyone should boast. So if you are in the faith, if you have trusted in Christ Jesus, that is a gift of God. Think about Lydia. Remember Lydia? We covered her not that long ago in the book of Acts. She's at Philippi down by the riverside and Paul comes and he preaches and it says that the Lord opened her heart to understand and then receive the message. God has to do that work. Now to be sure it's a genuine faith that comes from within us but it is a faith which God has granted to us. He has enabled that. There is no room for boasting when it comes to being in the faith. I've known people, I had a friend years ago, he said, well, I don't, I don't take credit for anything except I was smart enough to turn to Jesus. I'm like, you know, and I'm sorry, if you come from a certain background, that might sound like good theology, but it's not. <laughs> he wasn't brilliant. God didn't make, <laughs> whatever he had, <laughs> whatever any Christian had, comes from the Lord. Can you imagine two moths sitting around in a bar, you know? Knock them back too many, and the one guy, well, I may be a philanderer and a, and a drunkard, but at least I love the light, right? Can you imagine one moth saying that to the other? It's like, you, don't, you can't take credit for that. There's, what do you mean? Oh, you, you love the light, right, yeah. Who gave you that in the first place? That comes from the Lord. So we should, first of all, if you're a Christian today, just, just be thankful for that. Be thankful that you have trusted in Christ. Why? You can't, you, you can't account for it. Wasn't something great in you? Wasn't you were smarter or better or anything? The Lord blessed you with that faith, and, and so you've trusted in Him. Secondly, thankfully remember that you have love for all the saints. 
One of the outstanding qualities that Paul could mention concerning the Colossians is that they have love for one another. Uh, Epaphras has told Paul and company, apparently, we can, you know, based on, it's Paul speaking as that which he has heard, reported to him. So apparently, Epaphras has come back and said, you know, I think it's real. They, they received the preaching of the word. They professed faith in Christ. And what I see, and he probably could line out how he had seen Love demonstrated in the church. And this is not uncommon for Paul to take note of. How many times do we see that? I went back and looked. He says it to the Ephesians. He says it to the Thessalonians. He says it to Philemon. And that makes sense. Love is really the first cardinal, you know, it is the, it is, it is the highest gift, the first gift, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from, that is, it comes from, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Faith ought to produce love. If faith in Christ, if that conversion experience is a genuine turning of the heart in faith to Jesus Christ, then love is one of the first things we're going to see. Paul could write to the Thessalonians, remembering before God, And Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. John would say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. As far as Paul can tell, with all their other issues, the Colossians are genuine believers in Jesus Christ because He sees, or at least has heard, of their love for one another. So let me ask you, this is is just a good check-in time for our own hearts and our own lives before the Lord. Do you love God's people? You don't have to answer. I'm just asking you to think about it. You don't want to answer too quickly. I notice some of you are like, got to think about this a minute. (laughs) Right? Love in the church is like love in a family. Like, you love your brother, you want to sometimes just beat the tar out of him, but you love him, right? Because you're family. And I think that's true in the church that sometimes, you know, love is complicated and, and, and there are things that, that where we struggle. But is there basic love? Let me show you something. He comes right back to it again a few verses later at the end of the text that we have in front of us in verse 8. It says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Your love in the Spirit. Love not only indicated that their faith was genuine, that they knew Christ, but it indicated that they had received the Holy Spirit. Which, if you are, if you've genuinely come to faith in Christ, then that is true, that you have already received the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to you. What does all this mean? If the Lord has worked in you a love for the brethren... You know, a love for one another. If God has done that, no matter how discouraged you may feel, no matter how downhearted or uncertain you may be, because maybe you're struggling against sin in your life and sometimes it feels like you're losing that that battle, whatever the discouragement might be, if there is evidence of God's work in your heart, if you love the brothers and there's tangible expressions of that love, that's confirming, isn't it? That's encouraging to know. 
a lot of other things might still be wrong in you that God is still working on, but that love, that love is, is, a, is a pure kind of evidence. Let me say this too while I'm at it because I'm a pastor and I have to say things like this. If you're not coming to church, if you're staying away from the people of God, how do you know? How do you know if you love the brothers? Because when it talks about that love, it's talking about people within a congregation who are living and working together, encouraging one another, using their gifts, and experiencing the the complexities of that love with one another. So if you're staying away, you are staying away from something which has the power to keep confirming to you what God has done in you. If, you, if, you're, if you're sitting home, and, and I know there are people that are shut-ins and so forth, but I'm, I'm not speaking to those people in this. But I'm saying, man, if you're staying away from God's people, you're missing out on something that's absolutely essential and vital to just your own sense of, of, of assurance. You need that. Okay, thirdly, thankfully remember that you have hope laid up for you in heaven. Um, Paul said, he always groups faith, hope, and love, doesn't he? Here it was love, faith, and hope, but you know, the, the, those three things remain. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, which we covered, and of the love that you have for all the saints, we just looked at that, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So their faith and love that they're experiencing connect back to the hope that is theirs, their hope of heaven, their hope of eternal life. They'd turn to Christ because they'd heard the gospel and they laid hold of that desire and that hope for heaven. They turned to Christ and out of that you now flows that faith and love. Hope in scripture, and I say this every time we get to it, is not wishful thinking. Hope, the way we use it in English, has been, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been done violence. Because <laughs> we'll say things like, oh, I really hope I win the lottery. I don't even play the lottery. How am I going to win it? But I don't know. You know, I, oh, I just would really wish I hope. It's just wishful thinking. Like, you're not really, there's nothing in you that really says, oh, yeah, I'm going to win that. It's just like, oh, I hope. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope, you can write it down or commit it to memory, but biblical hope is a certitude of, of the promise that has been made to you by God. It's a certitude. You know it's happening. Now, it's future, so it's a, it, it ties and correlates to faith, but it is that which God has promised and your firm conviction that what God has promised, God will do. So it's both subjective, I hope, but it's also objective because it's that which I've laid hope upon, and that is, that it's concrete. There are many light and momentary afflictions in this life. We all know that. The, the rain, it falls on the just and the unjust alike. The sun shines on the just and the unjust alike. Uh, and maybe you're down. Maybe you're, maybe you're discouraged. Perhaps for a time you've wandered away from the Lord. Perhaps temptation is pressing on you. But let us take hold of this hope which is ours. Let us look at that, that hope, and renew that that sense of what we laid hold of at the beginning. When you turn to Christ, you laid hold of the hope of eternity. And let there be that that stone of help in your life, you know, as as you think about this. It's It's metaphorical in one sense, it's spiritual, but think of Christ. 
The, the stone that the builders rejected. I know I'm mixing my stone metaphors here. But think of that. Look at what God has already done for you. What you know to be true. Look at that, that faith which God has awakened in you. Look at the love that God has shed into your heart by love. And then look at this hope which you've taken hold of. And that hope is good for eternity. Let Christ be the rock in the weary land, your Ebenezer. And remember that God has brought you to this place. Break for water. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, next, and this is going to be kind of the last half of the sermon, or almost half. Thankfully, remember the gospel. Thankfully, remember the gospel. If you will just look at your text, I, I trust that you will see something that jumped out at me as I was studying it. Um, it might be technically a chiasm, it's, which is a type of structure in Greek. I'm not absolutely sure of that, but it looks like one to me. It looks kind of like a tent, the passage does, if you line it out, because at, at about verse 5, you've built up, you know, you've got the faith and the hope, um, well, the faith, the love, the hope, building and, and coming from, as it were, the gospel. So you get to the gospel at the top of the little tent, and then everything from there, through the rest of the verses, flows out of the gospel. So the gospel is really kind of the crux of everything, as it usually is. Yeah? So we want to be thankful as we remember the gospel. First of all, remember the gospel came to you. Remember the gospel came to you. Um, it says, Of this you have heard before, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the world. Now jump down to verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So they had heard the gospel. From whom? Epaphras. Yes, you're like, I don't even want to try that name. Yeah, whatever comes out will be fine. Um, they'd heard it. What if he had decided not to go back to Colossus? What if he had been grooving so much on Paul's? Because I, I think it's likely that he was in Ephesus at some point that he had been with Paul, that he had been hearing all that good teaching from Paul. He probably didn't feel adequate or able to do anything on his own, and yet he goes. He goes. Look what Paul says to the Romans. How then will they call on him, him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have, not, uh, have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So Epaphras is that guy. He's God's man in Colossae. He's, you know, he's, he's the doorway of the gospel for the Colossians. Can you imagine the gratitude that they should have had toward him? He didn't have to go. As far as we know, he didn't, he didn't have to go, except that God put him there. Last year I saw a, a musical on TV called uh, Come From Away. How many happened to catch that? Come From Away? Any of you? Yeah, it, it, it was, um, I think it was a Broadway musical, and then somehow it got on TV. And, uh, but the story, the background of the story, it's, the, it's a real story. When 9-11 happened, you'll, you may remember this. Uh, some of you aren't old enough to remember, but when that happened, they grounded all the flights. In fact, they gave them, a, I think, a fairly short amount of time to get those planes on the ground and land, or at some point they were going to start shooting anything down that was still flying. How many remember that? Yeah, scary time. And uh, in some cases, those, those, those jets, they had no place to go. Uh, and they ended up landing, landing a bunch of them in Newfoundland, 
in Newfoundland, which is not known, you know, for its extravagant, like, hotel chains and things like that. Like, they landed basically at an old Air Force base, and there was nothing around. And I can't remember, they were like, they were, you know, the, the, the show makes it seem like it was one plane. I think there were hundreds of planes, actually, that ended up landing in Newfoundland. But they basically, what they did was they reached out to the Newfoundlanders, and uh, if, that's how, if that's what you call them, and, uh, and people took these passengers into their homes for several days before they were once again able to uh, depart. And the story, it's, it's a little woke from my taste. It ends up going, you know, because whoever wrote it wanted it to be very woke. But really it's a story of human kindness and then the gratitude, the story of gratitude. There's still relationships that people forged 20 years ago at that time that are still, still warm today out of that sense of gratitude. Think of the gratitude that the Colossians should have had for Epaphras, that because they would have been in the darkness, they would have all died in the darkness had it not been for him. He comes to them, he brings the gospel. And where would Epaphras have been without Paul? Who is your Epaphras? Do you, do you have one in your life? Just think for a moment. Might have been your mom or dad. Might have been a Sunday school teacher. Might have been somebody that spoke to you at, at some point. Who is the Paul in your life? God led that person to you. That is the work of God. God prepared that person in the providence and sovereignty of God. And I don't care how clumsy he or she was in how they told you the gospel. They might not have even given you the best theology in how they did it. But the gospel came to you. Be thankful. Be thankful. Great. God did that. God brought you to that place of hearing the gospel. Thankfully, remember the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing among you. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it is also, as it also does among you since the day you heard it. If you hear the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ, at that moment you come into union with Christ. You know, we talk a lot about abiding in Christ, and that's because it's such a powerful metaphor that Jesus gives us in John 15. He says, your branches, I am the vine. So you come into this organic, living, real, spiritual relationship where you are joined to Christ, and the power and the strength and the life of the vine flow up through Christ, through you, and begin to bear fruit. Paul had that fruit in his life upon conversion. Do you remember? That was, didn't that spin your head around when we're going through the book of Acts? When Paul got saved, how quickly he started bearing fruit? How many remember that? Yeah? He came to faith in Christ. He's like th- blind for three days. Ananias comes, prays over him. He comes to Christ, turns to him in faith, is baptized. And then it's like, it kind of reads as if the next morning he's out preaching to the Jewish people that that Jesus is the Christ and he starts bearing fruit. Um, He says, but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God that is within me. Paul, the persecutor of the church, began once he was in Christ to just bear fruit for the kingdom. The Colossians, eh, they're a bit problematic by comparison to Paul. They're not very mature. And yet Paul writes to them that they are bearing fruit. I love that. 
I love the fact that in spite of their obvious deficiencies, and, and, God, and Paul's going to go on and, and correct those, there was evidence right from the start that Christ had come to dwell in them. On the one hand, you had faith, hope, and love, as we expect to see in the life of a believer. But he's also indicating by what he says there, bearing fruit and growing, he's not just saying, I see gentleness, humility, self-control, those things growing in you. He's saying, after Epaphras left, you kept preaching the gospel. You kept proclaiming and believing and sharing. And so, as it has in all the world, the gospel has continued to grow in your midst. There's a time and a place for us to evaluate the evidence that God is at work in us. Amen? Yeah, it is not wrong to ask the question, do I see evidence? Since becoming a believer, you will have started to bear fruit. If indeed you are in Christ, there will be fruit. Now, some of you, you know, who are a little bit more introspective, and when I say that, you'll, you'll start to despair because you'll say, well, I don't see all the fruit that I think I should see. It's part of why we love John 15 because it's so organic. If you think of the imagery of a plant, fruit doesn't come on all at once, does it? Have you ever planted a fruit tree in your backyard? You know, from the little stick they send you from the seed card catalog company? It takes like two years for there even to be a real tree even there. And then, I don't know, three, four, five years, you finally start getting some blossoms and some fruit. It's that way. Fruit comes on slowly, but slow though it may be, surely enough, with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control starting to grow up within us. We should see patterns of virtues in place of vices. Our, Our lives should more and more reflect Christ, more and more draw glory to him. And we will always fall short of everything we want to be in that. I just hasten to say that because, again, people will, they'll lose hope if they look too much at themselves, which is kind of how that works. If you look too much at yourself, if you do more than a little reflection, pretty soon it can go downhill. I think of the words of John Newton. John Newton, you remember John Newton. This is not Sir Isaac Newton. Easy to confuse the two. He's not the creator of the cookie. Um, It is uh, John Newton who... uh, actually wrote the song, Amazing Grace. How many like that song? Amazing Grace. John Newton. Anyway, John Newton had been a slave trader. I think that is generally known by most people that he had been a slave trader, that he was just a total ne'er-do-well, a rotten, dirty, rotten, sinful guy. And he admits that when he looks back and he talks about his previous life during those years. But then he comes to Christ. He turns away from the slave trade. He becomes a minister of the gospel, writes you know, like a couple hundred hymns, among which is Amazing Grace. He became an abolitionist, so he fought against slavery. But he said these words. He said, and I think we've got the quote. We do, good. He says, I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't look for perfection or you will despair. We all continue to fall short. We will all rightly continue to do battle against the sinful flesh. 
But rejoice and be thankful that by the grace of God you are not what you once were. That through the gospel you have begun to bear fruit through the ongoing indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit through the gospel you are bearing fruit and be thankful be thankful hitherto his love has blessed us he has brought us to this place and we know his hand will lead us safely home by his good grace all right lastly thankfully remember that you heard and understood the grace of God in truth Verse 5, Paul referred to the gospel as the word of truth. Then in verse 6, he says, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is the word of truth. The word of truth is the gospel. Clearly, the Colossians had some truth problems, some things that where error and falsehoods had crept in. But in the gospel... And anyone that truly comes to the gospel, immediately there are certain core important truths that are brought home to bear. When we come to Christ through the gospel, what do we learn in terms of truth? We learn the truth of the universe. Yeah, you didn't know that. We do. Because suddenly we find out the universe, everything that is, was created by God. It belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. That's what we come to learn. And then we learn that a holy God, that we sinned against a holy God and that when we we fell into sin, we were lost and we were hellbound. But that God in love sent his son and that this son, his only begotten son, one with the father, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, died a substitutionary death for sinners and that those who turned to him and, and we'll be saved. Yeah, we, all of that, all of that truth, that's huge, isn't it? That's a lot of theology, but all of that comes home and, and finds a place in us when we turn to Christ. Paul is saying, you Colossians, with all your hang-ups, and you've got some, you, you heard the gospel of truth, you received it, you got it. The coin dropped. No matter what else was true of them, They were genuine Christians. They've got the truth of the gospel. How did that come to you, the truth of the gospel? All at once? Well, if it was this way for you, how many had it just drop like a coin all at once? Like you just one day you weren't a believer, and the next day it was like, boom. Yeah, one or two, a few of you. Yeah, we always think that all conversions are like that. How many were like C.S. Lewis? Who doesn't want to be like C.S. Lewis? But you were like C.S. Lewis. You, you, you fought it. You argued against it. You put it on a shelf. You took it off a shelf. You put it on the shelf. You took it off. You thought about it. You, you wrestled. You debated with your friends. You went home and you thought about it some more. And then weeks and years went by. And then one day you kind of realized that something had happened and that you were a believer in God. And then, and then you turned and, and fully understood the gospel and embraced Jesus Christ. How many was it like that? Huh? Yeah? What difference does it make, right? It doesn't matter whether it came quickly or took almost forever. You know, whether sudden or gradual, it is the grace of God that you came to understand the truth and that you are in the truth today. 
Think about it that way, Christian. Think about that, that stone of help, that Ebenezer out there on the field somewhere. Think of the, the rock, which is Christ, and, and, and realize that God has helped you. He has brought you to that place. You have come safely there. Faith, hope, and love are yours. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is being demonstrated in your life. You've, you've received the gospel. You've understood the gospel. You stand today in the truth of the gospel. How good is that? And if God, and this is, this is the corollary to the idea, which I said at the beginning, but the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So today, no matter how much of a failure you think yourself to be, no matter what it is that you are battling, whatever crisis you have going on, if the Lord has brought you to that place, then have confidence that he will complete that good work in you and be thankful. If, uh, if you're not a believer today, then, uh, well, you've learned a new word, if nothing else, today. You're like, Ebenezer, well, now I know, now I know. But the truth of the matter is, if you have not embraced the gospel, then, then you really can't claim that. You can't say that with 100% certainty. Here's one thing you can say today. You've heard the gospel, so you're partway there. And I would love to think that today, it, today that coin would drop and you would understand the word of truth, that you would be able to respond to it today and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I, I believe that, that you died for my sins and that you were raised for my justification and I receive you as my Savior. And Lord, I pray that that would be true for you today. Maybe, maybe you're somewhere along the way and this isn't the day, and, 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 but God's gonna keep working on you. But whether it's short or long, whether it's today or a year from now, I pray I pray that God will set that stone of help firmly before you and, and you would throw your, your confidence and your trust and your hope upon Jesus Christ.